All right, and Genesis 1 through 11 is what, if you've joined us on this journey from this point to April, is what we read through this past week. Um, we, we're in this series called The Story, where we're actually going through um, a kind of a compilation uh, of uh, passages from the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that's chronologically laid out. And, um, and so if you haven't picked up one of these, the, um, they retail for 20 bucks, but we got them for five. Um, and so you can get them. Um, we've already sold over 500. We ordered a, an additional 200 and those are going. So if you would like to get one of these and read along with us through this series, snag one at the guest hub. Um, that'll be awesome. But basically what we've been doing as we're going through this is understanding what God's story is. We want to understand what is the primary story of the Bible. So many people feel like I, I'm intimidated by scripture because I just don't get it. And so what we want to do is we want to actually navigate from the beginning to the end of the Bible and help us understand what is the predominant storyline that God is telling. And so this week, this is the beginning all right, and the beginning of the story, we're actually going to take in four parts, and the first part actually covers into um, the creation account. So it, one of the, the cool things about having your book here, if you want, um, just go ahead and write in it. I mean, as you're going through and reading it during the week, mark it up. I've been marking up mine in the passage, and then you could actually take your notes right in here before or after the chapter, and then at the end of the year, you'll have all of the notes from the whole series, you know, recorded in there, which would be pretty sweet. Otherwise, feel free to use the uh, church uh, NBC app or the notes that we have in the back. But again, the first account starts with the creation's big bang. Um, if you've got uh, your Bibles, go ahead and start off. Let's start off with page one, um, either in Genesis 1-1, if you have your Bible, or if you have your book, you can go to page one. And the first page of the story starts off with, again, Genesis 1-1. And it says this. And you can keep it open here because we're going to be coming back here. But in the beginning, What? In the beginning, what? Okay, so this is the, this is the distinguishing factor between uh, someone who's a, follower, uh, who's a Christian, who say they're a Christian, and someone who says, yeah, I wouldn't self-identify as a Christian. The starting point of that starts with this pr pronouncement that in the beginning, God. The story's main character, the main person that the Bible is about, it's not about you and me. The main person that the Bible is about is God. And, and that's... And, all that that uh, it means and all, that, 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 all the implications of that on us is spelled out through the rest of the Bible. But we start off with the fact that God did it. That, that cosmology is the science of, of understanding the origins of the universe. And all, all throughout our science, we can go all the way back and we can look back and we can unpack it. But at the root of that, the, the question behind the question is, sweet, that's how it happened. Who did it? And, and for a Christian, they're a person that says, I am putting my faith in the fact that I know the source, the origin, and that is God. In the beginning, God. But it doesn't stop there. We have also the fact that the Bible accounts for God's work both poetically and historically. Okay, so take a look at this. If you look, uh, let's read the next couple verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said... You know, that, that, this is awesome. God said, because we have a personal God. It's not just a force. It's not just like someone who kind of like manufactured things and, and he's on the distance. We have someone who actually spoke this into existence. Now, Bible-believing Christians, a Christian that says, I believe in the Bible, disagree on Genesis 1 and 2 in a lot of ways. People who are faithful followers of Jesus who believe the Bible, some say, actually, um, Genesis 1 is a play-by-play. -play. 
I mean, it's like a scientific account. You can actually see the days listed out there, day one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. And many of them would say it's a play-by-play that helps us understand that the earth is 4,000 years old. Other Christians who are faithful followers of Jesus read chapter one of Genesis as a poem, and they recognize that Genesis chapter one is a different account of creation than Genesis chapter two. And that the author wasn't trying to confuse the the listeners, but that his point was not to give a play-by-play per se, but a poem that leads into a historical account. The historical account is chapter two. Um, But that that the the first part is a poem. And these guys would agree with with some scientists who say that the universe is 14 billion years old. So you have 14,000 years old and 14 billion years old. Faithful followers of Christ who believe the Bible believe both. There's actually a third um, option too. And, and some people believe that God created the universe and the world the way that some girls buy jeans from American Eagle. It's true. And I mean, that's not a classification, but it should be. Um, you, know, you know, when you go to American Eagle, some girls buy jeans that are new, but they look old, right? Right, they look like they've been through a wood chipper. That, that's actually the way that some people believe that God did it. That actually God created the world mature very much like he created Adam and Eve, not as babies, but as mature adults. And so in that, that's perhaps how God did it. The truth is, is that again, above and beyond being a play-by-play as far as a point, Genesis is intending to let the reader know there's a lot of theories out there on how this world came to be. Violence, destruction, power grabs, but we know that it came from a personal God who spoke it into into existence. And here's the amazing thing. What Christians, even though they disagree on Genesis 1 and 2, what Christians and non-Christian scientists alike agree on is the next part of that Genesis account. Genesis 1, 1 again, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Non-Christians don't believe that part. And God said, what? Let there be light. Now, there was a point where a lot of people who were skeptical of the Bible would say, okay, so here's one of my problems with the Bible. You have God creating the sun days into creation, but on day one, you have light. Where's the source of light? Where's the source of light? And Christians are like, I I don't know. But all of a sudden, you go deeper into science, and you have um, what Dr. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson in Astrophysics Astrophysics for Those in a Hurry. It's a really fascinating read. Astrophysics for Those in a Hurry. Dr. Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's an agnostic, um, communicates that in the very, very beginning, um, Christians believe that God created everything out of nothing, right? Ex nihilo. But he says that science can't go there. They can't say everything came from nothing, but they can say that everything came from something that is one trillionth the size of the period on the paper in front of you. Everything came from something one trillionth the size of a period in the book that's in front of you, that all the matter in the whole universe was in that. And then all of a sudden, an explosion took place. And that explosion... The, the temperature that, that from, from the radiation reads out from the way that they look at the, the universe right now, and they could trace it back to a source, and they could say that the temperature of that explosion, the Big Bang explosion, was 180 million trillion trillion degrees Fahrenheit. And all of a sudden, in that explosion, the shrapnel of electrons and positrons that were not only exploding out, but spontaneously continuing to explode out, ended up annihilating and causing a new thing to come into existence, which was photons. You know what photons are? Light. All of a sudden, in less than this, in less of a trillionth of a second, less than that, all of a sudden, everything is light, screaming light through the whole universe all at once. 
scientists who don't believe in God and scientists who do and Christians who, who read the Bible would agree that in the beginning, the very first part of creation, let there be light happened and light was. And God was just getting started. I mean, because the, the, the goal of his creation was not just to have an epic, awesome universe or even the other things that Genesis 1 lays out as far as his handiwork in all of creation. He was doing something greater than that. Uh, the, the, head, the former head of the Human Genome Pro- Project who um, was able to code out DNA. He was, a, he was an atheist um, for a good majority of his life. And then he read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and it, and it tweaked him. And he started looking at, at science differently. And in, again, he's the guy who, who helped code out DNA. And this is what he said, to get our universe with all of its potential for complexities, this is Dr. Uh, Francis Collins, to get our universe with all of its potential for complexities or any kind of potential for any kind of life form, everything has to be precisely defined on this knife edge of improbability. You have to see the hands of a creator who set the parameters to be just so because the creator was interested in something a little more complicated than random particles. The second, the millisecond after that first trillionth of a second, which is what they call the the Planck era, right after that, the next second, all those particles had to be just so. Otherwise, the universe itself, science will tell us, would have imploded. Everything had to be perfect in order for the universe to exist, which ultimately would lead to life. It had to be precise because God had something more in mind than just really cool, complicated particles. Werner Heisenberg, the Nobel Prize winning astrophysicist said, the first gulp of natural sciences will turn you into an atheist, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. When we look in science, we see something exciting, not scary or an enemy, it's something exciting because it lets us know this is what God, God has done something amazing, far more amazing than we understood five years ago, 10 years ago, and that the big bang of creation concludes with God's core passion, human beings. If you look at page two, at the bottom, it says, then, and this is uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything right there, he's saying, I'm summing this up. Everything that I just said I've created, I'm making mankind as a leader in. He's going to lead the stewardship of all this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now this is important because when we hear that God says, let us make mankind in our image, who is God talking about? I mean, it's just God, right? So who is us and who is our image? Some people have said, some people have said that it's angelic uh, beings, um, but, but we weren't created in the image of angelic beings. Someone said it out here. It is. It's, it's the triune God. This is a massive difference that if you believe the Bible to be true will radically change everything else in your life that if you don't believe the Bible is true, may not. And this is it. If the Bible is, if this story is actually the true story, it's the true account, then that means that because we're created in the image of God, this God, not just any God, but this God, we have a triune God. That means that God wasn't someone who is just unipersonal, not Trinitarian, just unipersonal. And so for eternity past, before there was humanity, he had no love. There was no love because you have to love someone. And if it's just you, you got nobody to love. And so your creation is just basically a power grab. 
I'm sovereign, I'm all-powerful, I'm all-wrathful, I'm all-whatever, but I'm creating humanity just for glory, just for me, just for my own needs. That's a power grab. We don't have that picture. We have a triune God who from eternity past was in perfect love, had a perfect love relationship that is all about deference and, and glorifying. And, and, and all of a sudden, this is, love is something that is experienced in eternity past. So when God creates humanity, he's not creating humanity to get something. He's creating humanity to give. And all of a sudden, love has become part of our fabric. If you are a Christian, what, the reason that you love is because that's part of the very fabric of who you are. From created from eternity past, you're created in the image of God. Even if you're not a Christian, that's true. You just don't believe it. But that's the truth. Not only that, because you're created in the image of God, as a Christian, you have a rationale for why people are, should be treated equally. Man, woman, no matter what race, no matter what background, no matter what country you're from, you should be given equal dignity. And that's radical. It's still radical today. We, we may say that, but it's radical today. Because, but as a Christian, you have a source for that because God created men and women in his image. That's inherent dignity, inherent value. Now, if you're not a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here today, for real, because I want people to be here who don't buy all this, but are, are at, honestly asking questions. But if you're not a Christian, I mean, let's just be honest. You've got to wish that this were true. I mean, you got to, I mean, even if, as a, as a non-Christian, you live like this is true. You live like love is really a thing and not just a biochemical facade in your head. If, if you're not a Christian, you live like this is true because you think that it's probably a good idea to treat people equally. Why? Because if everything is unguided, cold, empty, formless navigation to get us to where we are, you can love whoever you want to love or treat whoever you want to treat with abuse and it doesn't matter because there's no dignity there. Love is, in fact, like Buddhists believe, a facade. It's an illusion. It's not something that's true. And the desire to love someone else is wrong because that leads to desire and that's wrong and that's evil. However, if you do believe in the triune God, then you actually are living out the fact that God has at his essence love that he's given to us to call us to give to other people and you have the reason. But not only that, as a Christian, you have this too. You have a rationale for why when you turn on the TV and you see that things are messed up, you have a reason behind that. And when you, when you hang out with your family with your family, you realize things are messed up. And when you actually are, are thinking to the dark thoughts of your own head, you're like, things are messed up. There's a reason behind that because as awesome as things start, as much as we're created in the image of God, the second part of our story is the fact that humanity had a great fail. And the great fail was that we made the decision to define ourselves by our own morality, our own decision-making, and kick God to the curb. Now, the interesting thing that we see in Adam and Eve with this in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, pardon me, is this. What happens? What do they do as soon as they sin? What, what, what is the re revelation about themselves that they come to? Yeah, they're nude, which is, it boggles my mind that that didn't cross their mind before. But they realize at that moment that they're nude, and, and not only that they're nude, that this is, something's off about this. This is, this is not right. And so what do they do? They, they, yeah, they, they start to, but, they, but not only hide, they, they sew together like um, really non-durable clothing out of like fig leaves and junk, right? So like, I mean, they're, they're making, they're making the, these things and, and all of a sudden, the next thing they do, what's their relationship like with God? What do they do with God? Run away. They hide. As Christians, we have been doing this from the beginning. 
when we sin, when we sin, and here's a good definition for sin. Um, it's on, I think it's on the bottom of page seven. Sin is evil, moral shortcoming, wrongdoing, or disobedience. This term refers to any action, thought, or attitude that does not meet the standards set, not by your culture, the standards not set by your family, the standards not set by your interior moral compass, but the, the, the standards set by God. Anything that's outlying on that is sin. And so whenever I sin, and whenever you sin, we do something that echoes Adam and Eve. Because what we do is, as soon as we sin, we have that twinge of guilt and we want to hide it. Or justify it, like it's not that big of a deal. And we try to cover it over. And the next thing we do is we run away from God. Now you could actually be coming to church week after week after week, but interior, you're hiding your sin and you're running away from God, even if you're showing up here. Some people, they, they, that's what keeps them on the outside. Like, I just feel like hypocritical. So I'm, I've done, I did something back here that I can't undo. And so because of that, what happened over there, I got to stay, until I get myself polished up, I got to tell myself, I get myself right, I got to keep my arm's distance between me and God. And what we see is, is not only, I mean, and that's bad, and it's bad that we're still living that out, but it gets worse because sin has a dead end. When you, when you see the whole interplay between God and, and Adam and Eve, you kind of, in Genesis chapter 3, you're like, what is the big deal with the fruit? I have, I've gone through tons of jewel Oscos. I've never, never, ever been frustrated or really angry about fruit. Seriously, what was the big deal? God was letting every, these, these first crea- the first creation know, I have a standard. Are you following my lead? Or are you proving and declaring your independence from me? You do this, and this poisons everything, and it did. Because we see the ramifications in their kids. Adam and, Adam and Eve's kids, all of a sudden you see that sin, this, this tendency to be self-absorbed and intrinsically interior and self-absorbed in our interior ultimately leads to violence and death. And that, and that literally happens with Abel. Chapters four through nine of Genesis is like, like a, um, an, just a, a model home of dysfunction, of what happens culturally when we have made that decision and continue in it. You have all of a sudden, as the, as the video showed, from Lamech on, just it gets worse and worse and worse and worse until we ultimately see God saying, I am going to deal with this. If you're living in this time, you gotta be asking, if you're Noah, God, when are you gonna do something about this? Everything in my culture is poison. Everything, I and mean, we live in a murderous, rapist culture. No one is safe. Everything is poison and, and it's getting worse. And so we have this in, in, on page eight, and this is uh, Genesis 6, 11. It says this, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. This is like third uh, cha- uh, paragraph down. The earth was f- corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw, God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So, Noah said, or, so God said to Noah, I'm gonna put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. The ramifications of man's decision had so poisoned all of mankind and all of creation that God was gonna hit the reset button and he was gonna start over. There's a recognition that his, the prize of his creation, people created in his image were actually going to destroy all of people created in his image and the whole thing was gonna go defunct. So what God did, is, did was say, I'm hitting the reset button. I'm bringing judgment and wrath down against the effect of sin, which is tearing my creation apart, except for this one family. At the top of the page on uh, page eight, or bottom of page seven, it has a commentary, just a brief commentary that leads into eight that I eventually really disagreed with. 
It said this, eventually nearly everyone just plain forgets their creator and the whole point of being alive. For most people, life becomes one big party with no thought of consequences except for one man. The reason I had a hard time with that because I, I felt like that was a trite way of putting the sin condition at the time, that everyone just thought life was one big party. Until I've thought about some of the parties that, that I've seen or known people to have witnessed and experienced. And you guys have, I mean, all of us have either experienced this or we're tight with someone who has. All of us have either gone to something where you're like, you know what, tonight I'm, I've got zero, there's gonna be no ramifications. I'm just gonna like live it up, YOLO right? I'm just going to go, go for it, right? I'm just going to live it out as, as to full volume. And everyone here either has or has known someone who's woken up the next day with regret, right? Like, dear God, why did I do that? Dear God, what did I do? And I've looked and said, if only I could go back because I can't undo what I said or what I did or what I did that with or who I did that with, and everything else. And all of a sudden, we have all these, this, this, that, that reality. That is a pretty good description of the world that basically says, I'm going to go in full volume, and I know there's consequences, but I don't care because I'm going to get something out of this enough to make me feel alive, that the devastation and pain is worth it. And God says no. And he wraps in all of this wrath and judgment, and, that, and, 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 he, and he floods the earth. And you have this, this thing where, where he preserves mankind, he pr- preserves the animal kingdom, but, but he, he, he showcases that this thing of sin is death. The end of this is death. Scripture talks about the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Okay, and that's, that's, that's hold on to that thought, but let's still like settle in the fact that the depressing side of this is that we are all walking we are walking wounded and walking dead individuals who are dead in our sin. There's nothing in alive in us in and of ourselves. Sin has poisoned us and our environment big time. And, and this is the thing. At the, at the end of that flood, Noah and his family emerge from the ark, and God gives him a sign that he's never going to bring judgment and wrath against sin in the same way of a flood like that ever again. And what was that sign? Rainbow. I always thought that was the most corny, weirdo way of... Like, here's refracted droplets in the sky. There's a sign. And that, that whenever the destructive powers of a storm come through, you'll remember I'm not going to bring down judgment upon earth uh, in the same way. Until I realized that, that I, just in looking into it, and this is some, something that I disagree with, um, the English Standard. I love the ESV study Bible. It's my favorite study Bible. But I disagree with their take on this. Uh, because early rabbis have talked about that rainbow, that, that the interesting thing about it is that the word, the same word for bow, for rainbow, is the word for like bow and arrow bow. And so God says this, at the end of him doing judgment against mankind, that he was going to actually hang his bow in the sky. Now here, now this is a cool thing. Back in the day, if you're, if you're in the ancient world and you've got some type of like, um, I have to make sure that I'm holding this right because seriously, this is the coolest thing I've ever held, but I realize how Manly it makes me, but I'm really not. But it's so rad. Okay, here's the thing about it. 
Back in the ancient world, there's an outside threat that's coming into your community. All the men would take their bows off the wall, and, they'd, and if you believe Disney, some of the ladies too, take their bows off the wall, and they go out and fight against this, this you know, enemy. And pew, 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 pew. That's the sound of arrows. Pew, pew, pew. And they take, they eliminate the threat. And all of a sudden, their, their, their city is safe, and they come back. And, and, and war, no matter what war it is, war is truly hell. And, but when it's done, it's done, and they come back. And thankfully, uh, the warriors come back home. And as a sign of peace... They take their cachette, their bow, and they hang it on the wall. And they hang this bow on the wall as an indication that we did warfare against the enemy, and it's over. This is peacetime. And so for this ancient world, what God does is he hangs in the sky the cachette, the bow, as a sign of saying, I did judgment and wrath against the enemy, against the wickedness of sin, and this is peace. And whenever you see this in the sky, you can be reminded that I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to bring down judgment like that again, which is good until I think about what happens right after that. Because Noah, after like he emerges and God gives him the rainbow, the bow in the sky, and you're like, yeah, judgment is done. It's awesome. All of a sudden you see, as the video pointed out, you get Noah getting totally smashed He goes into his tent, and you have this really weird, ambiguous scene where Ham, his son, comes in and says that his son uncovered his father's nakedness. And then Noah freaks out and, like, just goes ballistic, like, way more ballistic than than someone who's even typically drunk would get. Like, what's, and it seems like he's righteously upset. I've never understood that until you you look at that phrase that uncover your father's nakedness is also a phrase that we see in the book of Leviticus, that says this, do not uncover your father's nakedness for your father's body is his wife's. Is, is, the, the, the mother's body is his wife's. You will be uncovering her nakedness. And it was a, it was a way, in a kind of an innuendo way of communicating that it, to uncover a father's nakedness is to actually have a sexual encounter with one's mother. Ham goes into the tent. Noah is so smashed that he doesn't realize that his son is in fact having an incestuous relationship with his wife. Now you see why he's so freaked out when he wakes up. And you ask yourself the question, this is the family? This is the family that you preserved? You really could have picked a better family than this. Maybe you hung that war bow up prematurely. And we look throughout every generation afterwards and we see the same thing. Sin isn't gone. We're just as messed up as before. And then we start saying, God, when are you going to punish the evil that we see when we turn on the news? But then we get really self-aware and say, God, if you're going to punish sin harsh, are you going to judge my sin harshly? Are you going to bring the war bow against me? Which brings us to the final part of this section, which is my glorious hope. Our glorious hope, and I put this in your notes as snake bites, fuzzy clothes, and a war bow, because this is what we see as the hope that we have in this section. If you look on page six, and it's, the, it's Genesis 3.14, in God's poetic uh, pro- proclamation to Satan as the serpent, he says this, and I will put enmity, I'm gonna, you're going to be enemies, uh, between you and the woman, between her, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The the proclamation is this. Listen, Satan, out of Eve's offspring, there's going to come one day a human who's going to take you down. 
And the side effect of that is that you're all, something's going to happen that you're going to also take his life. And who do we see that in? Jesus. Jesus did crush the effect of sin and death, but in the process, he died, and he died our death. On top of that, when you go down the page, we see uh, Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Why is this significant? Was God just saying, listen, those fig leaves are never going to last the first winter? No, he wasn't saying that. He was saying this. He actually, this is the first accounting we see of death, where we have death of an animal for skins that are going to be used for clothing. And this is what happens. I know Peter would freak out about this, but this is what God is saying. I, you are not going to be the one who's covering your sin. I am. I'm going to cover your, your sin. But here's the reality. The effects of your sin, I'm going to cover them, but it's not going to come without sacrifice and blood. Blood will be spilled as a result. Jesus was the one who actually fulfilled that. When we get on over to the uh, amazing passage of Noah and the ark, and again, it could be the same word, kashet, could be used for rainbow as bow, but it's, uh, in many translations, it just says bow because of that. It says, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever the bow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind. When we see in the sky the rainbow, we are looking at not only the promise that God has, has said that I'm not going to bring down judgment and wrath against the world in the same way of the flood. The early rabbis said it's, it's really, um, not only do you hang up a bow like that in the sky, uh, or uh, for an actual bow, not only do you hang it up that way, but it's also pointed away from the people. But as Christians, we also have a bigger picture in this. Because the truth is, is that God is saying that when I bring down, the next time I'm going to do judgment against the sin of mankind on a large scale, the next time I bring down judgment and I judge a people for that much and that, and that, that magnificent of magnitude, that you can remember that the bow is aiming straight for the heart of heaven. The next time I judge sin and take on the wrath, I'm going to incur upon myself the punishment. I will take the arrow myself. First Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. The great proclamation is that if you're in Christ, he has hung up the war bow. The judgment and wrath of sin is no longer on you. He's taken that upon himself. And the very thing that he said after every aspect of creation Good, good, good. When God sees you in Christ, he says, good. Yeah, but I did all that. Yes, I know, good. Because I see what Jesus has done for you. He took your punishment. Good, and he pronounces that over you. I love how Keller puts this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. If this story is your story, you could be honest about the fact that you are broken and dead in your sins, but that that is not the end of the story. You can actually live out the reality of what God is doing, even in broken people like you and me. Now this next week, as you're getting into this next chapter, we're going to actually see what God does. How can he take broken people and actually use people like you and me? Like, have you ever asked the question, you remember how like Cain goes off and it says that he got married? Who's Cain's wife? You ever asked that question? Well, we're going to talk about that next week. So, 
Be here next week. But check this out. God is actually bringing into his story people like you and me who are simply open to be used by him. In his grace, he takes the broken and he makes them whole. Is that your story? Are you someone who's still living, running from God and hiding your sin? Are you someone who's actually said, I'm repenting, man. I I, want to give my sin over to God and trust my story to his. I pray that that is your story. I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to pray for our morning offering as well, that God uses that significantly. But if that is your story, if that's not your story, and you'd like to ask more questions about it, please hang out afterwards and I'll talk with you. Right as soon as the offering's over, we have one announcement and then we'll be out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, specifically for anyone in this room who's still asking the questions and still um, investigating the claims of this book, the story, God, that you are the creator, that our sin has broken our relationship with you, but that you've made a way home through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you wake up their heart, that you give them confidence that they could put their trust in you and you alone, not anything they could possibly do on their own merits, their own good deeds to earn anything from you, but they could rest in your peace. They could recognize that the war bow against them that's owed them is hung up, that you actually took the arrow for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you actually renew and restore our vision and our life. God, right now as we give, Lord, we know that we can't pay you back. We give out of, out of an abundance of passion to be a part of your mission and in gratitude for all that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you use whatever we give today, God, to make an impact, a significant impact in this community and in your world, and we'll give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.